Hello and welcome to the Gestalt IT Rundown. Today is Wednesday, December 7th. It is National Pearl Harbor Remembrance Day. Um, we are here with a great roundup of news that's been going on for the last week. We've got a lot of great stories coming your way. Uh, joining me here in Ohio is Mr. Stephen Foskett. Stephen, welcome to the show. It's great to be here on National Cotton Candy Day and also National Civil Aviation Day. Well, there's lots of great things going on. Hopefully none of this is too sticky for you. But uh, we're going to go ahead and kick it off with a fun story. Uh, Index Engines is aiming to help you find data that's been corrupted by ransomware. This newest 8.0 release uh, from the company is focused on ensuring that ransomware attacks won't have a huge impact on your enterprise. The data integrity platform from Index Engines works with your backup and data protection solution to detect signs of ransomware uh, infection and corruption in your data uh, before it's backed up permanently to your backup solution. Uh, that would allow you to roll back to a clean copy of the data so that you don't back up something that you obviously can't be using. Uh, Vice President of Index Engines, Jim McGann, says that the ultimate goal for the software is to speed recovery times from the first detection to avoid costly downtime and avoid the need to pay the ransom. Now, Stephen, is this new approach going to help stem some of the losses that we see from ransomware downtime? Yeah, I think that one of the uh, aspects that I'm noticing as somebody who does a lot with storage is that, uh, you know, it's all well and good to have systems that can take snapshots of data or do clones, even in, you know, in, in, in variable clones, uh, protected clones, that sort of thing. But um, unless you actually know what the data is, it really isn't going to do what uh, they say it's going to do. It's one of those, I, I think, in a way, an overreach for storage uh, companies to say, you know, our new system protects against ransomware simply because we can mark things as read-only. Uh, really, what you need is something that's smarter about what the data is. And 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 frankly, uh, back in the day, I also focused on litigation readiness uh, support and consulting for companies. And they were much more interested in things like index engines because essentially what this thing's doing is helping to uh, get really, really smart and look at the data and understand uh, what's happening to it and what the data is more than just talking about storage. So from my perspective, I'm really excited to see this. I'm really excited to see storage moving in a new, smarter direction. And actually, I'm pretty excited as well because we're going to see uh, Index Engines present this at our Storage Field Day event coming up in March. So keep an eye on the Tech Field Day website for more information about that. If uh, faster internet speeds are your thing, uh, Lumen may have an answer for you. The massive provider formerly known as CenturyLink announced this week that they're going to double the size of their existing fiber plant that connects U.S. cities. The goal is to put additional 6 million miles of glass in the ground by 2026 and uh, connect 50 major cities with speeds up to 400 gigabits. Lumen recently completed an expansion in Europe that saw high-speed connectivity increase between France, Spain, and Switzerland. Tom, is 400 gigabits between U.S. cities going to make the internet go much faster for normal people? Well, it all depends on where your stuff is being stored, and that's one of the challenges that we're facing now is that a lot of the data flows between users and content is outflow-dominated. We're headed to the cloud. Most of the processing happens in the cloud, and then it's returned back to you. So if there's any kind of latency along the way, you know, like if U.S. East 1 decides to take the day off again, uh, you're going to see that actually kind of have an impact on things. 
And one of the deals is that this is all inner city links. So you're um, we talking about connecting, say, Boston to Washington or Boston to New York City. And the goal from Lumen is to try to get, um, you know, about the biggest 50 cities in the country all super connected, which I think is a really good idea. But there's an in interesting angle on this that I, as I was reading through the story that kind of dawned on me. And, and thankfully, it comes to me by way of advertising. And if you don't think advertising works, then you probably haven't seen an ad on YouTube for the Lumen Edge Compute Network. And if you if you read that in the voice of the guy who says that, you probably realize that this is just a key stepping stone. The ultimate goal for a company like CenturyLink is to deploy assets as close to the edge of their network as possible to allow the data to traverse their network as much as possible to provide those important kinds of research. Um, and possibly even revenue sources. So think about it like this. They're gonna put six million miles of single mode fiber into the ground. The ultimate goal is to have as much data flowing across that fiber as possible regularly to justify that expenditure. This isn't like the heyday of you know, 2020, or 2001, 2002, when everything was dark fiber going into the ground. CenturyLink, sorry, Lumen, wants this lit up, luminous, if you will. But by putting an edge node, an edge compute node at the end of these runs in these cities, you can also provide very fast access to those edge compute nodes for people that are using certain kinds of applications and things, you know, like Office 365 or stuff like that. So I think that there's a bigger play here. And most companies don't do any kind of investment like this without a payoff. And I think that ultimately that's the goal is to bring on more services that are gonna increase the re revenue of Lumen ever since they've rebranded themselves uh, from CenturyLink and Level 3. All right, Stephen, um, the market has a lot of questions about the Broadcom acquisition of VMware, and we've been talking about it a lot recently, but you know who else has been asking a lot of questions? Um, that would be the regulators, because they have subtly indicated that they're gonna have a lot more things to say on this very shortly. Well, in response, Hawk Tan of Broadcom wrote a blog post and answered one of the biggest questions because rumors have abounded for a very long time that Broadcom is going to raise the prices of VMware software in order to recoup acquisition costs and continue sales growth for the company. In the post, Tan responded to that rumor. No, that was his response. The idea is that he wanted to outline how VMware uh, or Broadcom was going to not abandon VMware's lower end customers, no customer left behind, but also how they're going to invest in R&D to continue to grow the platform, which is another persistent rumor that's been going around for a while that in order to make the acquisition work, Broadcom is going to slash R&D budgets and not invest in the platform anymore. There's no way to know for sure if this post was really aimed at potential customers or current customers of VMware, or if it was a subtle way to put that out there for the regulators to stumble across as they decide whether or not they're going to completely kill this acquisition. Um, Steven, should we believe Hawk Tan, or is this just window dressing so that the deal gets done? I believe Hawk Tan. Um, man says no, means no. Uh, I think it's important to understand that there's basically two different levers that companies can pull to change uh, the profitability model of a product or a company um, as a whole. Uh, either they can raise prices or they can cut costs. 
And I think that Hoktan is definitely saying here that they're not going to pull the raise prices lever. I think that's important. Um, I think that companies should be reassured by, by that. Uh, at the same time, I think we can all agree that they're going to pull the other lever, <laughs> which is uh, cutting costs. Essentially, I think we're going to see VMware move quickly to cut uh, R&D expenditures, to bow out of uh, products and services that don't appear to be um, bringing in uh, revenue uh, or uh, on the cusp of bringing in revenue or that maybe don't fit in with the Broadcom uh, vision for VMware. Uh, so I have no reason to disbelieve this statement. In fact, I would go as so far as to say this is not the question people should be asking. In fact, I'm not even sure if people were asking this question. Yeah, there was questions about uh, Broadcom, you know, squeezing customers to get more revenue out of them. Or, uh, that's not really going to happen. I think what's going to happen, like I said, is that Broadcom is going to cut costs at VMware to get more revenue out of VMware and help pay off the acquisition, which is, you know, going to have the same result uh, for them, but means uh, less regulatory trouble and, frankly, uh, less trouble for customers. So, yeah, I, I don't see this as, as a real concern, and I think we should take him at his word. Tom, it hasn't been a great year for LastPass. The password manager was hit by a breach back in August that made headlines, and they're back in the news again. Due to the fallout from the August attack, LastPass determined that another bad actor was able to get access to their shared cloud storage infrastructure. Uh, investigation of that attack is still underway, and it does appear that some customer data was stolen. But LastPass assures their customers that the shared secrets and password vaults were not breached in the attack. Um, is this credible to you? So the attack is absolutely credible. And the thing is, is that I think LastPass has realized that they can't really mess around anymore. They have to disclose when something was um, you know, listed. And the other thing to remember is that LastPass was also purchased by GoTo, which is formerly known as LogMeIn. GoTo also had to post a response that they were breached on their blog because this is a shared cloud storage infrastructure. So it sounds to me like what happened, if you remember from the August attack, is that LastPass development environment was compromised. So this person, who we believe was not involved with the August attack, was able to munge data that was collected during that attack and go, oh, look, S3 bucket passwords. And so they were able to log in, and that's how they were able to compromise customer data. And that's the ultimate problem. So I believe that LastPass is absolutely telling the truth about the fact that none of the shared secrets or vault information was compromised because that is ultimately the keys to the kingdom. If that stuff got compromised, you might as well say that that is the last day for LastPass. On the other hand, what did they get a hold of? Well, if you didn't get the shared secrets, you probably got all the rest of the customer data, which means you probably got their names, their addresses. Um, hopefully they didn't get any payment methods, but who knows? But ultimately the problem is going to be that there is now a loss of confidence in LastPass's ability. Yeah, I can keep my passwords safe, but that's like having a fireproof safe in a forest fire. If you don't control the stuff around it, I don't necessarily know how much longer the rest of it can hold out no matter how secure it is. It's only a matter of time before someone is able to steal salted password hashes. And even if it's going to take a million years to unsalt them and break them, it still means that somebody has access to that data. So I think what LastPass ultimately really does need to do here is they're going to have to do a full security audit. They're going to have to find every potential avenue 
that was um, exposed in that development environment hack back in August. So they're going to have to start slamming those doors shut and basically welding them uh, to keep people from getting in. And honestly, if that means that you have to move providers, if you have to uproot a whole bunch of stuff and, and rearrange it just to make sure that your controls are secure and in place, I think that that's probably a good investment to make right now because ultimately, if you don't want to pay that money now, you can probably pay it to the regulators later or, you know, everyone's favorite free credit monitoring for the next 50 billion years because someone got a hold of that data. Steven, sometimes you can have your cake and eat it too, especially if it's a very thick layer cake. Micron announced this week that they are launching a new NVMe SSD that has 232 NAND layers. Per the release, Micron is touting the fact that this unit draws less than 2.5 milliwatts of power while it's sleeping and less than 150 milliwatts of power while it is actively idling. To go along with that, the new unit also adds more throughput and around 100,000 IOPS of performance to this drive, which is designed to go in mobile computing devices, hence the low power draw. Steven? What is the real potential for this new fast, low power drive other than making your laptop battery last a little bit longer? Well, Tom, I suspect that this will make your laptop battery last a little bit longer. No, I, I think that this is uh, honestly, it's uh, motherhood and apple pie, not layer cake. This is a good, this is a good thing. As we talked about last week, Micron is a smart company that understands the, 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 the waves and the peaks and the troughs of the, uh, memory uh, industry and uh, this is a company that has uh, cut back on DRAM and is uh, at the same time that they're investing on new next generation DRAM. Same things happening here with NAND. I mean they're one of the biggest producers of flash memory in the world. Uh, they're one of the more innovative companies there and they've uh, created another new product here that um, that is honestly just great. Um, that doesn't mean that it's, you know, somehow transformative or anything. I mean, I think that people like to see big numbers and 232 uh, layers is a nice big number. It, it, it uh, lets them uh, kind of one-up the announcement that we heard from uh, Chinese uh, company YMTC uh, earlier. Uh, it also lets them uh, boast that they've got, you know, they're right up there with SK Hynix and Samsung who are also developing uh, memory chips in this in this class. And frankly, I suspect that Solidime is going to be having a memory chip, a NAND flash chip in this class as well. Uh, they're doing the right things with this. It's a six plane uh, NAND die. Uh, it has uh, independent uh, lines on each of the planes to allow it to parallelize writes. Um, all this stuff is great. It's got an SLC cache. Um, they're doing all the, all the good things here. Um, is it Really news? Well, I think the news is when these parts come to market and when they allow us to have bigger, you know, more capacity, more speed, more performance in our mobile devices, because everybody wants that. So, I mean, overall, um, is this uh, a major news story? Uh, probably not. Is it good for the industry and good for Micron? Yeah, I'll take it. Give me some, uh, give me some more NAND layers, would you? Well, we'll have that coming right up after we take a little bit of a closer look at a story that's been uh, making the rounds for the last week or so. And it's been a while since we've talked about Nutanix, but they're back in the news with this very big rumor. The market is buzz with reports that Hewlett Packard Enterprise is looking to acquire the leader in hyper-converged infrastructure. Now, you're probably already wondering, wait, don't they already kind of work together? They, in fact, do because they are partnered on HPE's GreenLake's infrastructure as a service solution. 
And that's one of the reasons why people are starting to wonder if there might be a little bit more behind these reports than just random rumors. Now, you may recall that just about two years ago, Nutanix ousted founder and former CEO Deeraj Pandey, and they've been kind of coasting along under the radar ever since. There is a report that we're going to link in the show notes uh, from Seeking Alpha that says that Nutanix had a quarter one operating loss, but most of that was because of the fact that sales general and administrative expenses at the company were something like 65% of their revenue. That same report says that if Nutanix gets bought at roughly the same multiple that we're seeing with a lot of the other acquisitions, it should come in at somewhere in the neighborhood of about $8 billion dollars which we know HP has available after some of their recent successes and other acquisitions that they've made that have paid off handsomely. So Stephen, are we about to see the end of Nutanix's dominance in the HCI space that they helped create? Yeah, I, I think this story is actually all about a different company, VMware. Uh, Ooh. I, uh, I posted this rumor as soon as I heard it to my Twitter and Mastodon accounts, and we had a lot of uh, people weighing in. Thank you so much for, for ju jumping in there into that thread, uh, everyone. And, and frankly, there's, there's a lot of, um, a lot of uh, garment rending and, <laughs> and, and, and crying about this because of uh, you know, the, 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 the fact that people just loved SimpliVity, which was an HCI company that, uh, that, Nutana, or that uh, HPE uh, purchased and that ha HPE has done quite a lot with, but maybe not as much as some of the fans would have hoped. Um, at the same time, uh, Nutanix has been uh, kind of a, a, a combative and plucky competitor in the, not just the HCI space, but the virtualization space and the uh, hyperconverged storage space and the distributed storage, distributed infrastructure. All of these spaces, Nutanix is competitive. Uh, since it was founded, Nutanix was designed to be a thorn in VMware's side. That's what the, really the goal of this company was. Essentially, do VMware, but do VMware better. And I think that um, now that uh, this is, um, I guess, in the future, you know, that somebody would buy Nutanix. I mean, there's been word that Nutanix was, was for sale. Uh, you know, as we, of course, have talked about, Broadcom purchased VMware. Um, this means, this opens the door to a Nutanix acquisition. HPE is a very logical company to buy Nutanix. I, in fact, I would be hard pressed to think of a better uh, choice in terms of business, uh, in terms of business justification for this, this thing. And frankly, if a, a Broadcom slash VMware goes up against an HPE slash Nutanix, I think that actually does shake the market up enough that this acquisition could make sense on a multiple, uh, you know, we, we have yet to see the numbers here, but I would suspect that uh, HPE would pay probably five or six, seven times uh, Nutanix revenue to buy the company, which means that they'll need to continue to pull in that, uh, that kind of revenue from the company for five, six, seven years in order for it to make sense from a Wall Street perspective. Uh, I think it could. In fact, I think that um, Broadcom buying VMware and HPE buying Nutanix would open up the market for Nutanix's products enough that they could really accelerate uh, revenue uh, from that product line over what Nutanix would do alone. Now, um, obviously, this fits in 
so, so this fits in from a, a financial perspective. It also fits in from a business perspective because as we've talked about, you know, GreenLake is seeing a lot of uh, uptake, a lot of interest. Uh, GreenLake with Nutanix is a really smart move overall. Uh, Nutanix being a software-only solution uh, with uh, pretty good margins because they've got you know their own technology in there, their own hypervisor, their own storage, not a lot of proprietary stuff means that uh, HPE can really wring out a lot of profits from this thing in an as-a-service model as well. So overall, um, although it's always a little bit sad to see companies go into a big conglomerate and, and be, you know, kind of eaten up that way, it's sort of the nature of things. And if somebody's got to do this, then this is a good choice. I think it's interesting that we talk about this in the frame of reference of the Broadcom VMware acquisition because the reactions to those two announcements, obviously this announcement hasn't happened yet. Uh, it's just a rumor between Nutanix and HPE. When Broadcom announced that they were buying Nut or when Broadcom announced they were buying VMware, everyone was like, "Huh? Why?" Like I don't get it. It's like when you see two people dating and you're like, "How did they get together?" Like none of this makes sense. But then when everyone was like, oh, well, HPE could be buying Nutanix, everyone was like, well, yeah, like that's the best possible way. It's like, why aren't they already dating? These two people have so, many, so much in common. They absolutely should. When you look at where Nutanix's strengths are, they're the scrappy underdog. They're going out there and getting their name out there and really competing in spaces to take that market share away, which is something that HPE has needed for a very long time. GreenLake has done a really great job of differentiating what their offerings are because they really don't play well in other places. When you look at some of the challenges that VMware has had trying to offset some of the large cloud providers, that's kind of what HPE is really looking to do, is they're looking to bring a solution in-house to compete against those folks. Okay, that makes sense. Nutanix is loud and brash, and HPE is kind of quiet and reserved and steady. But on the flip side, HPE has the one thing that Nutanix has needed for a number of years. An apparatus that knows how to do the things very efficiently at low cost. 65% of your revenues are going to SG&A. And if you look at the finance blogs, they just kind of shrug their shoulders and go, that's the market you have to live in when you're doing a lot of marketing. Is it really though? One of the things that Nutanix is infamous for is this very aggressive marketing posture that they are going up against the big guys and they've got to show that they won't take no for an answer and sometimes that comes across as quite aggressive. I think it may be time to dial that back a little bit and we've honestly seen that ever since DRaj left. I mean when's the last time we had a Nutanix story on the rundown? It's been quite a while. They're not making the same waves that they used to make as they did in the past. So I think that taking a lot of that overhead that Nutanix has been burning cash on and integrating it into this environment, like we've seen with companies like Silver Peak and Aruba, who have great technology, but have really benefited effectively from the structure that HPE has provided, it's going to allow them to integrate even more tightly. And that is where this whole VMware thing comes into play. Yes, if you're going to buy VMware from VMware forever, what are you going to put it on? Because the last time I checked, VMware doesn't sell hardware. At least not since they left Dell. And now you're going to tell me that I have to still figure out how to make all this stuff work together? Screw it. I'm just going to go to the cloud. That's easy. I hit a button and it's done. Unless HPE comes in. Hey, you can have everything you want in the cloud. We'll send the rack to your location. We'll configure it for you. 
you just hit the button and you tell us how much you're using and we'll send you a bill at the end of the month. It's on-prem cloud. Who cares what hypervisor you're running? Everything runs in containers anymore, right? I don't care that it's the ESX versus AHV versus PQR, BBQ, whatever. You made those up. Well, the last two I did. However, if you do write the BBQ hypervisor, I do want to cut. Now, ultimately, the, the challenge for Nutanix is how to overcome the inertia that everyone has around VMware or the cloud. Well, if you can't pick between one or the other, make the third choice, which is just sign up for HPE GreenLake. You get everything you could ever want. You don't have to worry about anything. All you got to do is write a check at the end of the month. Yeah, and, and from what I hear uh, from <laughs> enterprise companies and analysts is that a lot of enterprise companies are doing just that, signing up for things like HPE GreenLake. And, um, and, and frankly, they're hungry for a integrated data solution that uh, doesn't really require a massive refactoring of applications. They would love the idea of basically run stuff as a service in their own data center. And I think that that's what a Nutanix plus HPE would do. So as you mentioned, um, this is not announced. This is not official. Uh, I think that there's still probably a lot of wrangling. I suspect that the wrangling involves dollars more than anything else. And um, the Nutanix people are probably fighting for every dollar that they can get out of this thing. But I expect to see an announcement pretty soon. It just makes too much sense. And, um, you know, although we, uh, again, are sad to see one of the scrappy upstarts in the industry get uh, gobbled up by one of the one of the giants, frankly, makes a lot of sense. One final thought for the day. If you're tired of hearing about ChatGPT, you're not alone because the new AI wonder startup has managed to run afoul of the admins over at Stack Overflow. According to their moderation team, the algorithm is very good at writing code that looks like it should work, but it's almost always wrong, especially when someone with actual programming skills takes a look at it. So while ChatGPT may have failed in a way to create automated programming help, it somehow managed to create an algorithm that approximates the average Stack Overflow commenter. That'll just about do it for this episode of The Rundown, but we do have a look at some of the news and events going on in the weeks ahead. Stephen? Sure. Uh, this week, uh, we're looking at Gartner IOCS. Uh, some of our friends are there. Hi. Um, we're not, but uh, that's going on. Uh, but uh, in, the, in, in January, we've got a couple of events coming up from us here at Gestalt IT. Uh, Networking Field Day 30 is going to be January 18th. Uh, just go to the Tech Field Day website to learn more about that. We've got a ton of exciting networking companies coming there. And also check out Cloud Field Day 16 um, a couple weeks later, January 25th. Uh, check out the Tech Field Day website as we make announcements of the companies that are going to be presenting at Cloud Field Day. And remember that we will be back on Wednesday with more great news for you around 1230 Eastern Time. We've got one more episode for 2022 before we close up the books because uh, nobody does anything around Christmas, right? Everybody takes the day off, their week off, the rest of the year off. Um, but don't worry, we'll be keeping an eye on all the great news stories that are happening in that nice, quiet period between Christmas and 
in New Year's when uh, some interesting things tend to pop up. And we'll be back with more great rundown stories. You can watch us on YouTube. Our YouTube channel is youtube.com slash video. You can listen to us in podcast format if you prefer that. Uh, just open up your favorite podcast application and search for the Gestalt IT Rundown, and you can get your daily, weekly digest of news. Uh, we'll be back next week with more great episodes. And if you have any news stories you want us to take a look at, please tweet at Gestalt IT and use the hashtag rundown, and we'll take a look at those. Until then, from Stephen Foskett, from Hama Hollingsworth, from the middle of Ohio, thank you very much for tuning in. We'll see you all next week.